Hoş geldiniz. Welcome back to the Drone Core podcast. We are managing to continue our podcast every three days from our enforced coronavirus sabbatical. How's it going? Are you all very well? I hope that you're finding your way in these odd times. Today's podcast is going to be less about what the fuck is going on in the world now. And we're actually going to look at a specific theory about art, which I think is very interesting. And I hope you will enjoy. I'm actually quite excited about this podcast. I think that what we're going to be talking about is really interesting, really cool. But um, I am going to start by talking a little bit about this situation because a friend has invited me to an event on Facebook and you can find this event on Facebook is hosted by a group called Demands from a Pandemic and this event is called End the Hostile Environment Banner Drop so this group are taking the opportunity of coronavirus to understand and highlight some of the biggest injustices that are happening around us right now and have been happening for a long time in regards to refugees and immigrants. So it's again, like last week, it's specific to the UK and also to uh, Ireland. But if you are not in either of those countries, then I hope that it has the effect of making you look critically at your own government's policies because we live in a world which is pretty, which is a pretty hostile environment for migrants and refugees. So wherever you are, I imagine it will have some relevance to you. And if you want to join to this event, the idea is that on Sunday, on the 5th of April, in two days, there is a banner drop. All that means for you is to make a banner, it can be something A4, piece of paper, it can be anything. Which is calling this demand from the pandemic to end the hostile environment and share it online. It's something nice to think that the situation we are in with the virus is an opportunity for solidarity. Especially as I mentioned, I think last time, I feel pretty connected to the rest of the world now, sharing this problem so I'm just going to read what they've written in this event because I think it's important to share and I have an opportunity to share given that we have a podcast that we enjoy together so this is the international banner drop to end the hostile environment and release people from UK detention and Irish direct provision systems during COVID-19 pandemic This Sunday, we will raise banners from our windows and railings demanding equal access to public services for all, the lifting of no recourse to public funds and an end to the hostile environment. We join with our comrades across Europe to call for international solidarity and action from our governments. A person's chances of survival should not depend on their immigration status, not now and not ever. This lockdown is difficult for everyone but some are facing it while locked out of the most basic means of survival. 
access to healthcare, the right to work, and access to welfare or social services. The current system leaves many migrants and international protection applicants exempt from the public health response to COVID-19 and the protective measures that are in place for everyone else. While many people can rely on some form of government funding to support them, most people subject to immigration controls have a condition of no recourse to public funds, NRBF, attached to their status in the UK. This is also the case in Ireland, where international protection applicants are not entitled to social welfare supports. This makes it far more difficult to take time off work, to self-isolate or to recover from COVID-19. Everyone should have the right to be able to care for themselves, their loved ones and the communities around them. For destitute migrants without work in the UK, the closure of charities providing essential services, including food parcels, has put over a million people at risk of starvation. NRPF and social welfare conditions must be lifted to allow everyone, regardless of immigration status, to follow the government guidelines and adequately take care of themselves. The hostile environment also blocks the access of migrants to public services. Data sharing between the Home Office and the Department of Health and Social Care in the UK and the International Protection Office and the Health, Safety, Health, Health Service Executive in Ireland. This means most people must risk the possibility of being targeted by immigration enforcement when accessing healthcare. While COVID-19 treatment is currently accessible to all and the government has claimed that there will be no data sharing regarding coronavirus patients, this is just a temporary measure. While detention orders continue, people will still be deterred from accessing healthcare. Temporary measures like this do nothing to address people's legitimate fear and mistrust installed by a system built on hostility. So people who are waiting on their asylum claim to be processed, which often takes years, are forced to live on £5.39 per day from the UK government and up to €38.80 per week in Ireland, while people whose claim has been refused must live on no income at all. In the UK, both groups denied the right to work under the amended Immigration Act in 2014, while in Ireland, a very limited number of international protection applicants are entitled to the right to work under the EU Reception Conditions Directive. These internal border policies block people from contributing to the community effort and force people into precarious, unsafe working conditions just to survive. This extends to qualified doctors and nurses struggling to get accreditation due to the expensive and obstructive bureaucratic procedures. The continuation of online searches on right to rent and right to work during this pandemic demonstrates the strength of the government's commitment to maintaining xenophobic and racist policies. More than 700 people are still trapped in overcrowded detention centres across the UK and over 7,500 people in Ireland's direct provision system, waiting for the inevitable spread of the virus. A leaked editor a leaked uh, letter from the Home Office contractor G4S says people incarcerated in UK detention centres who are particularly at risk from COVID-19 are to be placed in solitary confinement for at least three months. Solitary confinement is a form of psychological torture. Altogether, thousands of people with ongoing immigration cases are trapped in precarious limbo. 
legal practitioners and support networks cannot safely carry out their work under the current public health directives, and substituting online tools for in-person meetings makes it impossible to act in the best interest of clients with complex needs or language barriers. We demand for all migrants to be granted immediate leave to remain and the release of those in detention. All over Europe, the COVID-19 pandemic is articulated as a national affair. The main concern seems to be the protection of the state's own citizens, while those who live in direct provision or camps or detention centres do not fall under this protection. While this has always been the case, it is especially visible in a global, global pandemic that the state's categorization of people with and without residence rights makes the latter disproportionately vulnerable to violence and premature death. Meanwhile, politicians are prepared to use the COVID-19 crisis as a pretext for stricter border and migration policies. The virus is capitalism and border imperialism. Border violence and racism is not the cure. For international solidarity against borders and the securing of everyone's rights, everyone's rights to health and safety. No one is safe until everyone is safe. So I hope that that speaks to something pretty important right now. If you didn't know all of that information, I think it's really good stuff to share and to know about. If you're wondering how the government's policies about this particular pandemic are affecting those who are really vulnerable, it kind of gives an idea how it's, how it's affecting some people. So like we talked in the last two podcasts, I, people in detention centres ain't listening to this. But hopefully by bringing this awareness in, we invite them into our abstract space, even if they're not actually here. And we, you know, fucking think about them. And this is a real um, action you can do now on Sunday, just fucking take take a picture of your um, banner, whatever it is, and uh, share it on social media. There's a hashtag which is at pandemic demands. Um, and then you can post it on the event or you can email it to them. I will share this event on the podcast post. And obviously there are a lot of there were a lot of um, kind of technical parts to that in a way, describing the um, NR, NRPF and uh, the different um, agencies. If it was a bit dense, sorry about that, but you'll have a chance to read it if you follow the link. But like I said, we're not going to talk about the coronavirus today. That's not what this episode is. We're going to talk about a theory of art. So, in a very... um, undignified segue, I want to present Scott McLeod's theory of the six steps to making art. So Scott McLeod has written a book called Understanding Comics and as you can guess it's mainly about comics and graphic novels but uh, this theory of art um, applies he says to the creation of any work in any medium um, because it always follows a certain path 
so what I've done is I've um, just taken the text straight out of the Understanding Comics book and the Understanding Comics book is itself a, a comic um, so you're going to miss the drawings uh, by listening to the podcast version of this I have edited this in order for it to be more underst- understandable <coughs> excuse me more understandable without the drawings and also to be a little bit more relevant to the point that I want to make with it and where I want to go with it I've also edited it to um, remove uh, gendered pronouns um, it's my edit like it's not Scott McLeod's words exactly but f- as much as I can I've, I'm going to just be reading exactly what he wrote so I really recommend checking out this book not just if you're interested in comics but if you're just interested in any work any artwork in any medium because um, as we'll see you know it has lots to say about art in general and this is this is perhaps the, one of the most uh, easily applicable sections which we're going to reflect on at the end thinking about this podcast and also maybe thinking a little bit wider especially considering like you know I just read to you um, this demands from a pandemic but um a lot of people are using a lot of news media and social media at the moment to keep up to date and because they're inside you know it's just so accessible and it comes straight to your phone or whatever and so maybe you know considering that all of that stuff you're cons- consuming is still a work in a medium still an, uh, if you have a broad definition of art then it's still art um, the presentation of news or, or any, any kind of media is a work of art so um, having a way to think about it might be appropriate now having a method to be critical of it I hope that we can get to that point together but um, yeah I'm going to go ahead and read it now so um, this is his um, uh, the idea of the creation of any work in any medium always following a certain path which consists of six steps the first step is idea so idea is the impulses ideas emotions philosophies purposes of the work the works content the second step is form the form it will take will it be a book a chalk drawing a chair a song a sculpture a pot holder or a comic book third step is idiom which is the school of art like the vocabulary of styles or gestures or subject matter the genre to which the work of art belongs and that might be a genre of its own the fourth step is structure thus putting it all together what to include what to leave out how to arrange it the composition of the work the fifth step is craft that's how the work is constructed applying skills practical knowledge invention problem solving getting the job done and the last step the sixth step is surface so surface is the production values the finishing the aspects most apparent of uh, uh, the first superficial exposure to the work so you got ideas form idiom structure craft surface you need to remember everything just just go with it we'll be fine in all the arts 
it is the surface that people appreciate most easily, like an apple chosen for its shiny skin. And the latest uh, fan favourite, which has a strong and attractive surface, often looks better at a glance than older artists who had the ideas and created the idioms but were less interested in the surfaces. But often when we pick up that shiny new apple, biting into it reveals it to be hollow. There is a cycle of creation at work here, a cycle as old as art itself. In comics, the cycle begins all over the world, as young readers discover comics for the first time and in a few cases begin to develop a love for comics that will last a lifetime. In this early stage, these readers are experiencing the characters, ideas, events and emotions of the story directly. The comics they read are like intermediaries between storyteller and audience. But in some readers, an awareness of the form begins to develop, an awareness that comics are just ink on paper, that making them only requires certain skills and that those skills can be learned. So let's say one reader, full of big ideas, makes the big decision to create their own comics. They're off to a logical start, they have the ideas, step one, and they've chosen comics as their form of expression, step two. It's likely, to begin with, that they postpone their own ideas and study the craft of other artists in an attempt to become a professional. They get the tools they need and begin to practice. Sooner or later, their drawings will impress their friends, but when they bring their work to show a real professional, they are likely to realise that their art is in fact missing a whole lot of craft. So, this prospective comic artist buys a book on anatomy, a book on perspective. He studies drawing techniques and practices and practices and practices. It might not click. They might feel like they don't have enough skill or lose interest or life just gets in the way. Or they don't give up and they study their craft all the way through school and college and they're a good, hard-working student. That's the fifth step, that's the craft. But again, when they show their work to a seasoned professional, they might well be pointed out that their art lacks an understanding of pacing, layouts, composition, structure. Without understanding the structure of their art, this person could be a successful assistant in the comics industry, not calling the shots, but still being part of the art, the business, and the community of comics. Or, they might want more than that. So they spend every waking hour working out the difficult principles of comics composition and storytelling, the kind they don't teach in books. They discover that their favourite artist was actually just a watered down version of an older, less polished artist whom they'd always taken for granted. They're learning to see beneath the crafts of draftsmanship and scripting, to see the whole picture pacing, the drama, the humour, suspense, composition, thematic development, irony, and soon they have all these things at their command. So they have that fourth step, structure. And maybe this works, maybe they do land their own book and soon become established as a creator of great skill. They understand comics storytelling better than most. Their work might not be particularly original, Critics might not pay too much attention, but they can make a decent living and they can be comfortably thought of as one of the best. 
or they might still not be satisfied. They wonder if their success really means anything when there are so many others doing the same things in the same ways. They crave an identity. They believe that there's something more, some piece of the puzzle that they still haven't found. They begin to invent new ways of showing the same old thing. They develop innovative new techniques and start doing away with the same old thing altogether. They create their own personal idiom. That's stage uh, step three. So you see they've gone from steps one and two to step five, the craft, and then back to understanding step four, the structure, and then back again to understand the idiom, which sort of lies underneath the structure and the craft. And as they do that, they might well find that the rest of their work, the structure, the craft and the surface change to suit that idiom. Achieving this, success and respect from other artists could follow. Hostility, rejection and poverty are also possible, of course. Young artists could begin imitating this new style, although most only seem to appreciate the surface. Maybe our artist is satisfied with this, secure in the knowledge that whatever they don't know, they're on the right path to find out. Or they could still feel dissatisfied. They might feel like something very important has been neglected, something fundamental, something at the core of who they are as an artist. With these thoughts on their mind, it's only a matter of time before they ask that one simple question. Do they want to say something about life through their art? Or do they want to say something about art itself? Saying something about life through their art, this is kind of step one. That's ideas through art. Or saying something about art itself, that's kind of step two, which focuses more on form. And of course, do they have to say anything at all? Personally, says Scott McLeod, I think we all have something to say to the world. The real question is, will anyone listen? And unfortunately, there's no way to know that in advance. Assuming the artist doesn't let that stop them, here's what these two choices between ideas and form could mean. By choosing form as their prime focus, they'd be setting up to become an explorer their goal to discover all that the art form is capable of. Their art would not lack for ideas or purpose. That, step one, would likely be produced by the focus on form, step two. Their art would just become their purpose and the ideas would arrive in time to give it substance. Creators who take this path are often pioneers and revolutionaries, artists who want to shake things up, change the way people think, question the fundamental laws that govern their chosen art. So the examples in comics that Scott McLeod gives um, could be Windsor McKay, Art Spiegelman, who's known for Mouse, the biography about surviving, um, uh, about living through the Holocaust, George Herriman, Cliff Sterrett, or Mebius, um, who uh, was known for heavy metal comic. In other art forms, it could be the composer Stravinsky or Picasso or Virginia Woolf or Orson Welles. Thinking about our podcast um, a few episodes ago about satire and stand-up comedy, uh, this would be Stuart Lee. So 
just if, if you listen to that podcast then you might be able to recognize that Stuart Lee we talked a lot about uh, is someone who kind of um, their prime fo- his prime focus is form on the other hand if the artist choose, chooses to the first step ideas as their goal then art becomes a tool the powers of that art will rely on the powers of the ideas within now telling a story or in the case of non-fiction delivering the message takes priority over invention however telling a story as effectively as possible may require some invention and it often does this is the path of great storytellers Creators who have something to say through comics and devote all their energies to controlling their medium, refining its ability to convey their messages effectively. In comics, this could be Charles M. Schultz, who uh, is known for Peanuts, Snoopy, Charlie Brown stuff. Carl Banks, who, uh, Carl Barks, sorry, who's a Disney artist. Herge, who did Tintin, Will Eisner, or uh, Nakazawa. Um, who's uh, from Japan making manga. In other art forms, it could be the filmmaker Franz Capra, it could be Charles Dickens, singer Woody Guthrie, or um, Edward R. Murrow, a journalist and broadcaster from World War II. Thinking about our comedian's podcast, could be Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks is more focused on ideas, and rather than revolutionising the form of stand-up, he is um, remembered for is the strength of his ideas. Fortunately, this choice between ideas and form never has to be permanent. It can change as often as an artist changes project. No work can be totally without content any more than it can exist without a form, but it does help to set some priorities. This is a problem in many assembly line comics where creative specialization has scripters, pencilers, and inkers all working at cross purposes in their attempts to get notice. And sometimes individuals who are creators, writers, and artists all in one still run into this problem. But the more an artist devotes themselves to either of these two focal points, the more dramatic change if they decide to switch. Now considering all this, and taking life's distractions into account, it's amazing how much time and effort is spent by comics creators, and indeed any creators, trying to get what they want out of their medium, before they even know what they want. Of course not everyone takes the long way round. Some artists have no trouble setting goals and achieving them without any detours, especially if those goals are modest ones. But any artist working in any medium will always follow these six steps, whether they realise it or not. All work begins with a purpose, however arbitrary. All take some form. All belong to some idiom, even if it's an idiom unique to itself. All possess a structure, all require some craft, and all present a surface. All aspects of art have a potential for self-expression. There's just, there's just always room for a certain amount of art. But the more a creator learns to command every aspect of their art and to understand their relationship to it, the more artistic concerns are likely to get the upper hand. What he's saying there is that the more devoted the creator, the more likely they are to turn themselves to this question of um, ideas or 
four. The order of these six steps is innate, like the arrangement of bones in a dinosaur's skeleton. They can be discovered in any order, but when brought together, they will always fall into place. In practice, any aspect of an art form may be the one which first draws an artist into its orbit. Still, the learning process for most artists is a slow and steady journey from the end, the structure, step six, to the beginning, the question of step one or step two, form, con uh, ideas or form, from surface to core. And it's at the core of art that the most important question is finally asked, why am I doing this? When form rules the work, it may seem somewhat artificial at the core, like a seedless fruit. But such works don't take the shape of art for granted, and by questioning our fundamental assumptions can anticipate a world of unknown experiences. Meanwhile, if ideas rule the work and determine its shape, comics can help plant those ideas far and wide, and this cycle can begin again. Scott McLeod's six-step theory about art. I think it's rather a nice one. I think it's pretty well articulated and easily applicable when we're looking critically at any work of art or any artist. And I would encourage, as um, Scott McLeod does in his book, a very broad definition of art to include especially like I said news and social media as long as you're creating something you're an artist I want to um, sort of tr try and apply this theory in a slightly um, I mean, I think, you know, he, he's written this general theory. When we apply it to something more specific, it can feel a little forced. Um, but uh, in the interest of understanding a little bit more the six steps, and in also to reflect on the podcast, which is, you know, kind of what we do here, I wanted to speak about the Drawing Core podcast in terms of these six steps. So... Uh, when I'm talking about this, it, it makes more sense to impose a certain linearity, um, like this happened and then this happened and then this happened, partly to follow Scott McLeod's way of explaining, and partly just because it's difficult to tell this story when lots of things are happening at once. And I think that... Um, one of the reasons this podcast is difficult to fit into this scheme, schematic, is because I, I'm, I was already an artist in an artist orbit um, before this podcast. I've been doing, I've uh, been involved in theatre and um, performance poetry and uh, prose writing and a little bit of music and 
Yeah, fucking, um, uh, I am already identifying as an artist, so I've been through some of these ideas about other mediums of art, and I have applied them more, applied them relatively easily to podcasts because I've already practiced that. But we're just going to focus on podca- podcasts now. So the thing that drew me into the orbit of podcasts was twofold. First, the Blind Boy podcast, and um, I've recommended the Blind Boy podcast several times. And I said in the first episode that it was huge inspiration for this. And in fact, it was more or less that I was listening to the Blind Boy podcast and thought, this is great, I want to do that. And the second thing that drew me into the orbit was WhatsApp voice messages. I also talked about this in the first episode of the podcast. The first episode of the podcast was about what this podcast is and why it is. So if you didn't listen to that and you're interested, then you know, go back to that uh, in the context of these six steps. Probably would be interesting. Um, but WhatsApp voice messages very much... Um, encouraged me to think about doing podcasts because the way I created WhatsApp voice messages that I sent to my friends was um, with a awareness of the thing I was creating such that it almost felt like a podcast albeit a very specific personal one um, but um, in terms of like how I moved from this to the craft of podcasts you know from blind boy i learned uh, about the implementation of a sound bed the reason there's a piano in the background is because there's a piano in the background of blind boy's podcast he wants to create something he calls the podcast hug this is why uh, we strive for a soft and intimate podcast with the drawing core because i believe that's what inspired me and i believe that's something important and in order to how to make a podcast that's what I saw and learned from that central inspiration and from the whatsapp voice messages um, I learned the way of talking Um, so I mean initially the big ideas, topics I thought were important to discuss, that kind of drove my desire. That's where I found my reason for doing podcasts. I wanted to talk about important things. I take this uh, art critic of the six steps as an an important thing to share and discuss. For example, and the, the, yeah, the craft has been developed through recording techniques and experimenting with that sound bed and um, I didn't I haven't shown my podcast to a professional podcaster but in lieu of doing that it was in fact um, someone who with whom I'd been sharing those whatsapp voice messages before who drew my attention to my way of speaking and so that craft of how to speak in a podcast um, developed uh, from whatsapp voice messages and from that you know I want to create soft and intimate 
uh, atmosphere but speaking so softly and calmly and relaxed is not um, communicating with as much passion so I've, I've been balancing throughout this podcast slightly different ways of speaking slightly more upbeat slightly more chilled out and then thinking about the structure so the craft would be would be step five and then understanding the structure underneath that step four has been a matter of mainly how scripted these podcasts are and how varying the content is becoming lots of most of these podcasts are quite different in what what they're about some of them are just stories that i'm reading and uh, they vary about in, in how scripted they are this podcast is pretty scripted obviously partly because i'm reading scott mcleod's words that i've edited but also this this part about my podcast i've already been through and written out not any not as an exact script i find that there's a balance to this and sometimes it in fact is better to have no script as in this untitled first untitled podcast two episodes ago sometimes like in the one about satire it was important to have a have a quite strict understanding of what i was going to talk about and how i was going to talk about it in order to craft that uh, and structure that argument and so the feedback I've received about um, about this podcast has been um, one one piece has been about the musical journey of each episode. So imagining the podcast like a piece of music, like where it slows down and where it builds up and where it finds its rhythm. This is something I haven't cracked yet, and I'm kind of aware of that. And it's partly to do with the lack of time that I have really to devote to this. I've already spent quite a long time doing this podcast. And I have listened back and re-recorded many, many episodes. And I've listened to a whole lot more podcasts even since I've started. And more recently I've been um, watching a lot of and listening to a lot of stand-up comedy. And all of that has shaped my understanding of how podcasts, podcasts work beneath the craft and even beneath the structure and uh, getting in touch with different people's idioms, ways of doing. But as we've struck out, we've tried to develop our own drawing core idiom. And although this might have been, this you could say this is characterized by a lack of coherency rather than a reliable style. But saying that, it's pretty remarkable all the things that we've uh, returned to. Like we started off talking about Taoism and since then I've considered this podcast to be a kind of Taoist exercise we talked about um, Susan Sontag's um, work about form and style and interpretation and, and that has informed all of the subsequent episodes so the idiom is sort of finding itself and that's part of that, that is in fact part of the idiom because I want this podcast to meander and, and let it kind of flow naturally a bit like a watercourse way like Taoism and the truth is since the beginning of this and 
again probably this is affected because I've had other experiences as an artist I have had this question of why am I doing this in my mind that's why the first podcast was basically why I'm doing this do I want to say something about life through the art or do I want to say something about art itself and like I said first of all I had important topics kind of more ideas but we have in fact talked a huge amount about podcasts themselves we're talking about art itself constantly including right now so one day this experiment between form and content might come to an end as I will have questioned those fundamental laws that govern art and podcasts and maybe decided to switch medium after making my point or discovering my point about podcasts and all this could be a continuous thing maybe this podcast will find its continuous identity if anyone is listening so the idea that um, Scott McLeod says that um, even with individuals who are creators, writers, artists all in one still run into the problem of cross-purposes like which what am I really focusing on um, where is where is my main motivation coming from that often applies to this podcast because I'm and I'm quite willing to let that be skipping around and being uncertain so the six steps of this podcast to kind of lay them out like the first step the idea is to foster an intimate space and to engage with important issues important ideas in a conversational manner and already you see the interrelatedness here of idea and form so the form is podcast and specifically a single voice talking but it has that conversational manner has that intimate space and that is uh, already we're starting to talk a little bit about the third step about idiom intimacy the idiom of intimacy largely means a soft voice but the conversational nature also means a kind of free and easy chatty um, register discourse um, the fourth step the structure yani we always have an introduction there are little verbal cues every podcast i say hoshgeldenese every podcast i finish by saying hadi bye bye and it's a song at the end we've got a pretty reliable structure although the, the what content we're presenting can change each time the, the fifth step to craft this is the sound bed this is the fact that we have jasper purring you can hear in the background the piano the, the microphone that i use the space i record in how i record the sixth step the surface you know, for this podcast, that's the images we use, the social media we use. You know, every podcast I make a different um, image for, which I actually enjoy quite a lot. Um, but an audio, the surface of an audio is going to be somewhat disconnected. It's going to be what you see on the screen before or as you're listening. <clears throat> And in my experience of engaging with podcasts, pod- podcasts are usually concerned with ideas. Usually, with that choice between steps one and two, they're usually step one. People who are not really into an art form might also be drawn more to ideas-focused art. 
because you might not be interested in really uh, examining the form of that particular art form. I think stand-up comedy is a really good example of this because Stuart Lee's work with the form might be just pretty boring or just seem pretty anal to someone who's not really that interested in stand-up comedy but then people who are really into and geeky about a certain art form might well be drawn to people like Stuart Lee because they understand how it works a bit more because they're willing to and they're excited to do that work of figuring it out but we can appreciate any aspect of a work of art as consumers we don't have to be the ones who choose between form and content but it is a crucial question I think especially because news and social media so another thing that maybe leads us away from partly from form focused art but mainly from um, spending much time deliberating between like form and content is this hyper consumption we talked about it in terms of stand-up comedy and satire uh, and also cynicism the way we consume media is so fast-paced and it's everything is so accessible now it has been for you know 10 or 20 years and getting more and more that quick pace doesn't leave much time for for deliberating between form and content and understanding the relationship between form and content in this podcast i'm explicitly engaging a lot more with form whether it be talking about art like kind of art criticism or talking about the sort of metaphysics of podcasts or even the piece of writing we read last time um, which was um, inspired by Beksinski that was interested in taking the form of paintings and sort of do an experiment in translating it to words it wasn't simply a piece of writing although obviously it had content and I hope it was uh, interesting content good well written content whatever but I am more interested in form so I think maybe we can start to analyse works of art a little more especially now we have time in this coronavirus let's analyse our media that we're consuming when we're reflecting on this situation let's not just be concerned with our situation but also the situation of those migrants and refugees who are in fucking the worst circumstances and maybe thinking about art like this can kind of foster your own art so I believe that you everybody has the potential if they want to to produce art and be creators so maybe looking at things like this and reflecting on the stuff we consume spending a bit more time wondering about it after we've finished watching or finished listening can foster your desire and your potential to make your own art which I think is only a good thing to have more art in this world that's a good lengthy podcast in the end fucking hell nearly 50 minutes let's uh, call it a day and um, I'm going to leave you with a song by the streets and this song is mainly ideas focused but you'll see that that focus entirely 
informs the form that it takes. The song is called The Irony of It All. Um, keep yourselves healthy, keep yourselves happy, be compassionate to yourselves, be compassionate to other people. We should be racking another three days. Uh, keep with the drawing core. Please share it, like, please tell people about it because there's like not a whole lot um, that we do, right? I don't know how to do it to encourage more people to listen, but it's always great to have more people engaging. And um, actually, there is something else I wanted to say. Um, so, uh, I want to start with you a uh, psychological horror film club. By all means, you don't have to join. But next Friday, so a week from today, going to do, going to release a podcast, uh, or maybe it'll be anyway. Uh, every three days, yeah, let's do it next Friday. And we'll have one, we'll have two a week, two podcasts a week. That seems good. Next Friday, we a podcast about the film Altered States. Altered States is about um, a scientist made in uh, 1980s. It's about a scientist who is interested in uh, learning more about mystical experiences. And the central part of the film is him. Uh, he gets these mushrooms from some kind of shamans in Mexico. And he takes these mushrooms while in an isolation tank. And he wants to discover to discover more about the history embedded in our genes. So this film is a is a drug film. It's a very psychedelic film, and it's interested in psychedelics uh, in a slightly B movie type way. Um, but it's also a horror film, um, and between these two things, it's very interesting. And I think the ending is. The last part of the film, the ending of the film, is something that is kind of unexpected from either of these angles, if you get me. Um, and it's relatively significant in uh, psychological horror films, in presentations of psychedelics on the screen. Um, so I think it's a good place to start. And then every week, I'm um, going to do another horror film. If you need help to watch this film, email email the the email address is uh, drawingcore at riseup.net if you can't figure out how to watch it yourself um, that's cool just just send an email and we, we'll figure that out um, together uh, because it'd be cool if people if, if like we have a kind of small engaged group who uh, yeah it's something to do in it when you're inside but I do think it's uh, something interesting and it's a topic that has been psychological, uh, psych psychedelic horror films. Did I say psychological horror films? If I did, it's not what I meant. I meant psychedelic horror films. Psychedelic horror films are a sort of a thing that I've been very interested in, but not really sure how to take that interest into a passion to put it out there. So now we're going to do that all together. So yes take care like i said um I, I mean yeah we'll be together again soon don't worry about it and, uh, enjoy the the irony of it all okay hadi bye bye hello hello
My name's Terry and I'm a law abider. There's nothing I like more than getting fired up on beer. And when the weekend's here, I exercise my right to get paralytic and fight. Good bloke, fairly, but I get well leery when geezers look at me funny. Bounce them round like bunnies. I'm likely to cause mischief. Good clean grief, you must believe, and I ain't no thief. Law abiding and all, all legal. And who cares about my liver when it feels good? What you need some real manhood. Rasha, rasha, burning cashier, putting people's backs up. Public disorder, I give you public disorder. I down eight pints and run all over the place. Spit in the face of an officer. See if that bothers you. Cause I never broke a law in my life. Someday I'm gonna settle down with a wife. Come on, lads, let's um, have another hello. fight. My name's Tim and I'm a criminal. In the eyes of society, I need to be in jail. For the choice of herbs I inhale. This ain't no wholesale operation. Just a few eighths and some PlayStation's my vocation. I pose a threat to the nation. And down the station, the police hold no patience. Let's talk space and time. I like to get deep sometimes and think about Einstein and Carl Jung and old kung fu movies I like to see. Pass the hydrator, please. <sighs> yeah, I'm floating on thin air, going to Amsterdam in the new year. Top gear there. Because I take pride in my hobby. I home make bongs using my engineering degree. Dear leaders, please legalise weed for these reasons. Like I was saying to him, I told him, fuck with me and you won't live. So I smacked him in the head and downed another Carlin. Bada bada bing, for the lad's light. Mad fight, his face a sad sight. Vodka and snake bite. Going on like a right geese. He's a twat. Shouldn't have looked at me like that. Anyway, I'm an upstanding citizen. If a war came along, I'd be on the front line with them. Can't stand crime either, them hooligans on heroin. Drugs and criminal, those thugs are the pinnacle of the downfall of society. I got all the anger pent up inside of me. No, I don't see why I should be the criminal. How can something with no recorded fatalities be illegal? And how many deaths are there per year from alcohol? I just completed Gran Turismo on the hardest setting. We pose no threat on my settee. Oh, the pizza's here. Will someone let him in, please? We didn't order chicken. Not a problem, we'll pick it out. I doubt they meant to mess us about. After all, we're all adults, not louts. As I was saying, we're friendly, peaceful people. We're not the ones out there causing trouble. We just sit in this hazy bubble with our quarters, discussing how beautiful Gail Porter is. MTV BBC2 Channel 4 is on till 6 in the morning. And then 6 in the morning, the sun dawns and it's my bedtime. Causing trouble? You're stinking rabble, boys, saying I'm the lad who's spoiling it. You're on drugs. Really bugs me when people try and tell me I'm a thug. Just for getting drunk. I like getting drunk. Because I'm an upstanding citizen. If a war came along, I'd be on the front line with them. Now, Terry, you're repeating yourself. But that's okay, drunk people can't help that. A chemical reaction happening inside your brain causes you to forget what you're saying. What? I know exactly what I'm saying. I'm perfectly sane. You stinking student lame go get a job and stop robbing us of our taxes. Um, well, actually, according to research, government funding for further education pales in insignificance when compared to how much they spend on repairing leery drunk people at the weekend in casualty wards all over the land. Why, you cheeky little swine, come here! I'm gonna batter you! Come here! 